Welcome everybody to the podcast Who Am I? In today's episode, I am again interviewing my friend Kate Roundy. Uh, we talked before in episode 10 on socialism, libertarianism, um, crony capitalism, and authoritarianism and the like. Uh, today we catch up a little bit uh, by following up on those topics, but the context will be slightly different. Today we want to discuss the many ways how we are being deceived through media and other sources of information and how this shapes our perception of the world and our personal reality. And then we go through various examples from history and our personal experience and mention how we have transcended certain lies and uh, still can't be certain about other things that we hear and are exposed to, but we just uh, exchange our views on various topics that seem quite important to ourselves and to the world at large. Uh, please join us in our discussion by leaving comments on our social media. Um, we're on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can find the links on our homepage at the bottom right. Enjoy. Even though it's been nine months or so since our last talk, we are able to just pick off where we left off. And I love that. Um, I remember you were trying to make some um, points in favor of libertarianism back then. And I was not yet as familiar with that philosophy. I, I was kind of uh, defending socialism at the, at the time. Um, but I've been educating myself and seeing the the strengths that that come from libertarianism. Now, what the word means um, is not always so clear. Like, I don't think of it as a, as a party. Uh, I uh, I don't know if I like everything about it. For example, I I don't think um, capitalism has to be necessarily a part of it. But like I'm, tr I'm trying to see what aspects do I like about libertarian thought and socialist thought? Um, what do I like about individualism and collectivism and stuff like that? And I like more and more the anarchy part because uh, my faith in uh, the state and the government that we have in, in our countries is waning more and more. I'm losing interest in voting, for example. Um, I put some faith in Bernie Sanders back in 2016. Uh, I even donated, even though you should be an American citizen to do so. <laughs> um, but I, I've seen, I've seen several times now in my lifetime how honest people get cheated and don't really stand a chance of improving our community in the established ways. So now more and more, I'm interested in learning from people who just get up and build their own system. Just find some land, live um, like um, independently, live, live from the land, uh, start their own um, trade system. And, and I think that is inspiring and, and hopeful. I, I think we need uh, to think things over like uh, globalism 
doesn't seem to deliver on some of the amazing uh, things that we had hoped from it. Um, it, it, it tends to destroy economies more than than unite them or you know it doesn't lift up the the lower um, end countries it kind of brings down the the upper end countries to the lower standards in, in terms of wages and um, uh, human rights and societal values is there anything you want to comment on that before we get to our actual topic of, of truth and deception sure i think um you know, I think that you're right. I think that your instincts are right. I, I'm not a political science expert at all. Um, you know, and I think that libertarianism, I, to me, it's more of an idea, you know, and it's more of a, a philosophy um, rather, rather than a governing mechanism, per se, right? I'm not sure that libertarianism... Um, makes for great management i i don't i don't know having said that though i i agree with you i think that um while there is always a tension between the communal responsibilities you know if, if you're going to be a part of society you know we i i do believe that we have to agree on some mores and norms you know so that we yeah. can coexist well and peacefully and i think you know i i mean not to get too reductive but i think at the end of the day you know do unto others as you have done unto you and beyond that you know leave me alone but i don't know right no those those um sayings make more and more sense to me these days um i just sometimes wonder like can you just distance yourself from someone if you don't agree with them on how to live in a space uh the world population is growing uh, yes, in, in the countries we live in, there's still, we don't live like India or, or Japan, for example. I mean, Germans live, I don't know, 10 or 20 times more densely than Americans, but still there's, there's plenty of space, uh, not just geographically, but also like for, for individual values, uh, for different religions, for, for things that, that differentiate us so that we can live in peace and don't encroach on each other's freedoms. I mean, there's no way of ever living totally independent, like, like you would never know that this person even exists or, or you could never know, I guess. Um, I don't know if I'm getting too abstract here, but, but yes, there is a need to no, get along. I, I love that. Um, well, and I think that this is part. No, go on, there's a delay. Oh, I was going to say, I think this is part of your valid criticism of American polity, right? Like we have a two system or a two party political system, basically. Yeah. And I feel like at some point, you know, it's not governed. You know, they play these, well, they, I feel like the political parties, you know, play these games with each other you know, and, and the average American doesn't care about little gaps here or there, or they don't understand the nuance of politics. And I feel like that they, um, you know, that sometimes it's just a game, governance is a game, and it's about winning more than it is um, about, you know, serving your country. I don't, I don't know, that's a jaded view, but I, 
I think that, you know, if I looked at the German political system, I, I one thing that I've always liked is that with the plurality of parties, you know, you, you do have to really come together and make coalitions, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it seems like there's not, I mean, as an outsider looking in, it doesn't seem like there's as much of a domination politic, you know, because you have to compromise if you want to lead. Is right. that correct? Or, or yeah, no? yeah, I, I see that that way as well. I, I see a, a slight advantage in um, in some differences there, like uh, we, d we have a, a proportional representation in Parliament. Um, we don't have first past the post. Um, yeah, coalition leads to um, coalition building leads to compromising. Um, some think of that as a disadvantage because when your party has the majority, you don't want it to have to compromise. But I don't feel so represented by any party anymore these days. And so I often think of America as just being ahead of Western Europe in things like that, where we're, we're leading, we're going down the same path. Uh, power is being consolidated more and more, maybe not in the, in the exact same way, like like with the American duopoly, but with the European Union, for example, I'm, I'm starting to sympathize more and more with the Brexiteers, as they're sometimes called, um, that they, oh, don't, they don't want to be ruled by Brussels, they, they say, for example. <laughs> now, I don't know if, if London is any better at um, representing them and making sweeping decisions in their behalf either but i can see how they might trust british leaders more than you know a mixture and we we aren't so much uh, a united states of europe here i mean we're kind of going in that direction but you know the, the diversity of culture and language still sets the european countries apart a lot um, I love that I used to be able to travel very freely among the countries and, and I'm sure it does a lot for business not having to pay um, at the border for importing and exporting. All that is coming back with the new borders with Britain and, and we yet have to see the, the ramifications of all the new laws with um, Brexit. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating to watch. I don't understand. Um, like I said, I don't understand the politics as much, um, you know, as, as a European would. Um, from the outside, it does look like um, the European Union has been a little bit punitive or tried to be punitive with, um, with England. Um, and I guess I understand that, you know, you, you have to make it hurt for people to leave otherwise you know, what holds the union together, I, I suppose, but um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't, I don't know what the future holds. Yeah. Um, let's, let's switch over to the topic of truth and deception. And uh, this is easily uh, connected with our talk so far, because um, the media gives us a lot of the perception that we have of politics, of uh, current events. And it's not just that 
this media source will will give you certain light on the topic and this another and you need to read several sources maybe several sources inside your country or even sources from several countries so that you you find the truth somewhere in the middle i have heard that strategy to finding out what's really going on in the world but i don't believe that i think that mainstream media um, like these 24 hours news channels um, are bribable. It, it's possible to, to pay off the media to convey the message, uh, not just not just in the way that you want, but also the, the content. You can totally get them to lie by, by overpaying them. Um, and I think that's critical nowadays because it can heavily influence us and you need, as a ruler, you need to uh, either keep the people happy with what you're doing so that they will uh, not rise up against you and will let you continue your thing, you, you doing your thing, or you need to keep them afraid. And then they will see you as a father figure and they'd panic and just say to you, as, as their presidents say, um, help us, we don't know how to take care of the situation, this is over our heads, we can barely pay our bills, um, just do whatever it takes, you have my leave, and, and uh, if, if you need to take some of my freedoms, it's fine, just protect me from these Muslims or whatever it is. And, uh, and the latter is a very efficient way to lead a country and to and I mean, in your own interest, not in theirs, obviously, um, but it will keep them obedient. Um, is this something that you've seen? Is this um, a realistic view, view of what's going on in the world? Um, I, I think that my instinct matches yours. One thing that um, I, I'm trying to think of if it was Benjamin Franklin, who said it, Benjamin Franklin, who said it, that um, people who are willing to, to sacrifice their freedom for safety deserve neither or something like that. I, I know that yeah. I'm totally messing up the quote, but um, one thing, I think that you hit the nail on the head, you know, after September 11th, 9-11 in the United States, um, you know, there, to me, it seemed like there was a massive grab of power you know, and, um, you know, the surveillance state seemed to jump ahead. The Patriot Act. Quite a bit. Um, you know, and I, uh, yes, exactly, the Patriot Act. And I, I think that, um, you know, to me, looking back, it's, it was disturbing, you know, that, that I, I mean, I don't know what was going on in Iraq. I don't know what was going on in Afghanistan, um, you know, that, that really justified the wars. I, I mean, I guess, I mean, in my mind, it's, um, I understand this might be offensive to others around the world. I, I mean, in my mind, I, I could, it's easier for me to justify an Afghanistan incursion to go after, you know, bin Laden, um, Having said that, I, I, the pretext for the Iraq war seems somewhat dubious 
to me. And I, I feel like um, part of the problem that I have is that, um, you know, that, that, that there, might, there must be a fine balance between, um, you know, how much does, do our citizens deserve to know about what's going on in the world, you know, versus, um, you know, keeping the streets safe generally. And I, I don't know, I, I guess there's a tension there, but at, at some level, um, you know, I don't, I don't like the idea that everything is secret, that, you know, you just have to trust your leaders. You know, if you only knew what was going on or what the world was really like, or, you know, when I, when I hear dire things like that, um, it does make me somewhat suspicious, but, um, you know, and I, I mean, it's not hard for me to say that there are people who have good intentions, you know, who are trying to do the best that they can with the intelligence that they have. Um, but I, I think that you're right. I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know. I, I have my reservations about things like the Patriot Act. You know, I see it. I know that. <laughs> I know that this is probably not a popular sentiment either. But um, the way that people have responded around the world to COVID, you know, it, it's um, to me, it's kind of disheartening. You know, I, I feel like, um, you know, the whole thing is has gone from trying preserve hospital capacity for a couple of weeks to, you know, months later, you know, well, one death is too many, you know, right. and um, we've, we've locked down society. I feel like governments, at least in, in America, I feel like have been deeply immoral. Um, you can go to a big box retailer, you know, that happens to sell food as well as electronics or whatever, and you can, they can stay open you, people can go and little, we call them mom pop shops, you know, run by small, small businesses were closed maybe because they didn't sell food or something. And even if I wanted to patronize the store and they wanted to take my money, they couldn't, they were locked down. And I, I just think, my goodness, what, why can't two consenting adults, mm -hmm. um, you know, engage in commerce, you know, um, and I feel like particularly, you know, it's people's emotions, you know, fear, like you said, is a powerful motivator, apparently. And I just more and more, I, I feel like, you know, our response has been fear-based rather than rationally based. And um, I don't know, I, I, I just, I feel like it's been a, a great debacle. But that, I mean, that's me. I don't know. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I think you're actually being very careful the way you're, you're expressing it. Um, but, but you touched on, on several points that I wanted to get to. Uh, first, let's, let's talk about um, truth about history. Um, the, I don't know if there's, a, if there's a set saying for this, but the victors get to write the history books, right? The, and that means that they get to tell future generations that they are heroes and that they liberated uh, whatever country they invaded. Um, but the, the more I learn history, and I've only taken an interest in, in history, I don't know, several years ago, 
I never enjoyed it in school. Um, but I, I've, I've learned that Osama bin Laden was um, funded and, and trained and, and helped by America. Um, was, that, was that when he was fighting the Russians? Was he already around back then? I think I think that you're right. When when they were fighting the rush, when the Russians were occupying Afghanistan, I believe that that's when he was being funded and trained by CIA. And just today, for the first time, I heard that uh, Saddam Hussein was um, also put in place by the CIA in the seventies um, in order to privatize the oil um, um, fields. The um, the oil extraction again and, and make it possible for international companies to um, take over control of the, the manufacturing there. And then he wanted more of the cuts. He, he didn't want to play by Bush Sr.'s uh, rules anymore. And, and um, you know, Gaddafi wanted to institute uh, a new currency, um, a, a golden African currency. Uh, to make the oil industry independent of the dollar. And, and I, no, I don't think that he was an American puppet, but I just remembered him as well. He had some, some good plans as well. And then the media makes us believe that these people are the worst there are and that we need to help the citizens of those countries by killing them. You know, even though governments or... or um, intelligence agencies in the West actually caused the entire problem. I, I definitely want to read um, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman one day because that author, I forget his name, really explains well how um, America mainly uh, goes into other countries to take control over them. You know, first they try to bribe the president. If that doesn't work, they try to put economic pressure on them like sanctions and take over control, you know, basically starve the people so that they rise up against their own leader. And if that doesn't work, then bring the military in and take control that way. And it's really sad to see that this empire, this American empire is being built without anyone really noticing it being an empire. Uh, it's not as as open anymore as like taking over the Philippines or Guam, for example, it's, it's no, you have a puppet in place and they do for you what you need and turn that rich pro progressive country into a banana republic. So history can be falsified. The news media can yeah, be bri bribed. Go on. Oh, I was going to say, I, I think that um, you might be interested to read about Guatemala and the CIA and mm -hmm. Chiquita Bananas, um, also Iran. I mean, think about Iran in the 70s. It was a very progressive Western nation. And it's hard to believe that the US didn't aid in overthrowing a democratically elected leader in favor of the Shah. You know, if, if I recall, um, you know, the, the Saddam Hussein, you know, where did he get his chemical weapons to begin with? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm with you. It's hard not to be cynical, you know, about, um, about America's empire. 
you know, and I, I, for several years, you know, instead of Pax Romana, you know, I, I like to think about it as Pax Americana. Um, you know, I, I, I think in America, one of the things that, that I, that I thought growing up was that, you know, there was, and I, and I think that it, um, had to do with America's setting up and its initial history and its Christianity and, and um, you know, God is on our side type of a mentality. And, um, you know, it's hard not to see for America or for popular media to try and spin everything and propagandize it, like you were saying, right? Like, um, you know, uh, it is interesting. I, I think that while Donald Trump was probably not a savory individual, you know, his character was probably not as savory. Um, one of the things that that struck me was that, you know, we had had a doctrine with North Korea for, I don't know, 20 whatever years mm -hmm. leading up to leading up to President Trump and you know, they were still launching missiles over Japan, you know, and, and it was a matter of, of sanctions and it was a matter of, you know, threats and saber rattling. And, um, you know, I don't know what happened, you know, what, what um, process took place, but all of a sudden, you know, when President Trump met with, you know, Kim Jong-un, um, you know, the missiles stopped and we didn't go to war, you know, and I, I don't know if um, early on in his presidency, President Trump dropped a, a bomb. They call it a Moab, the mother of all bombs. Mm -hmm. And it's a busting bomb. And he in dropped Afghanistan. it in Afghanistan. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, it's, I don't, what I, what I never know is whether that was a, just a projection of power, you know, telling, you know, sending a, a proxy message to um, mm. North Korea saying, hey, your bunkers aren't going to protect you. Or whether it was, you know, maybe just a show of force at the beginning. But a lot of people do actually believe that there is only peace if you force it. But but that is, you know, the the method does not um, sanction. Now, what is it? The ends do not. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the ends justify the means. Yeah. The, like a consequential or utilitarian ethic, right? That right. whatever, you know, whatever the long run, whatever is best in the long run will justify our short-term short actions yeah. as opposed to deontology, right? Deontology would be, you need to do whatever is right and dictated in the situation immediately. But Okay, I wasn't um, familiar with that last term, but yeah, what you need, like it's good to save lives, but <laughs> but not at the cost of others. Um, you need to do the right thing in, in every moment, basically. And, and yes, there are tensions, uh, but what you need to do needs to rely on some philosophy that applies to every moment, not just one outcome. Another thing I wanted to get to is um, where do people get their values from? I met one man once who said that Christianity or no, I, th I think he actually said religion is the only uh, valid source of, of values 
for people to live by. And he wasn't even that religious himself. I think he was just commenting on um, how values for people come less and less from religion over time. Like the children see their parents teaching one thing and then not living it fully. And so they might need to learn that um, the message is pure, but not the messenger. And uh, it's, it's still worth living the, the rules that you get taught, even though the people who gave them to you, who passed them on to you, um, are hypocrites in a sense. And so one major trend, for example, has been to not get married anymore, uh, but just live together. You know, where, where does that come from? Is, is that because children see their parents separating all the time? Or is it because um, the state has co-opted marriage and taken all the religion from it? Uh, this is just one of, of many examples where I, I think religion is, is leaving culture. And then there are plenty of people who say that, oh, I can be a, an ethical person and I can have values to live by for myself and a whole society and I don't need religion to do it. And I want to believe that's true, but I'm not sure anymore. Um, there, there are great philosophies and I do want to look into them more and more. And, uh, for example, Taoism, but um, what do you think? Where, where do values come from and, and how can we retain them over generations of time? That's a great question. I don't know the answer. I do have a couple of reactions, though. Um, as far as you know, Christianity, it's hard. We talked about we talked about Pax Romana, Pax Americana, and the thing that that I love about Christianity was how disruptive it was. Right. So when I think about at least the Lucan or the Gospel of Luke, you know, Luke's early Christian community, how subversive it was. Right. So if we think about power systems that were in place, you know, the the Roman, it was peace through strength or peace through violence or whatever it ended up being. But it, it was, um, you know, there are political systems that have power, monetary power, influential power, military power. Right. I, I mean, Rome flexed, you know, and it was based in the Roman, the Roman imperial cult. Right, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is bringer of peace. You know, Caesar is God. The God. Right, and so all of a sudden we have this um, carpenter, or a carpenter, this construction worker. Is I think that was the the word. I I don't sure. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but what you know, we had this day laborer who came in. You know, all of a sudden. You know, he was not a military power. He was, you know, not preaching, you know, peace through strength. You know, it was about commensalism. It was about loving one another. It was about doing unto others as you would have done unto you. Um, you know, and, and the Lucan community, you know, um, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And it was... I mean, that was a direct affront to the power systems that were grinding the people of that day. And so as far as, um, 
you know, Christianity and, and values and virtue. This is something that I've been trying to figure out myself. Um, you know, I, I for sure don't know, you know, if there's some man in the clouds, you know, or what happens to us when we, when we take our last breath. Um, but I, I definitely um, believe in the mission of Christianity, right? And I believe in the mission of religion. Um, I think that I think that it's easy to to get rid of religion, you know, in a lot of ways. And I think about um, like the Old Testament, you know, these were um, you know like the Ten Commandments and you know, a lot of the laws that, that Moses had received, you know, these were, um, I think these had precedent in, um, I think they're Hittite, suzerain, vassal treaties, mm. you know, how vassal states lived under um, larger entities. And, you know, what, what I think they were, were our first attempts at, you know, trying to ensure equality Right, as far as you know, making sure that inheritance inheritances passed, you know, from father to son, and that you know, violence, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, wasn't uh, well, or that people would be just that, that there would be downside for violating um, social norms. Um, you know, if there are children in a marriage. You know, we do have laws in place to protect them, to make sure that they're not abandoned or orphaned. And we know who the inheritance should go to or whatever, right? And so I, I understand, you know, why people would forego marriage. And not that I'm saying that I agree, but I understand why it's more convenient and more able for people to, to skip marriage in, and just go to cohabitation. You know, if there's no... Um, there's not as much economic downside, right? And I think that part of the, I mean, it's good and it's bad. The liberation of women, you know, definitely it's, it's been good because I, I mean, it's hard not to argue that women were treated as property earlier and, and that's not correct. I, I think that, um, you know, now that, now that they won't be as brutalized economically by divorce, you know, right. it's easier for women to, to leave abusive marriages. You know, they don't have to stick around in abusive marriages or they don't have to um, maintain relationships where, you know, the guys are not, are not good. Right. And so I think that, um, you know, I do feel like we're in a, a in a transition era you know we we have a lot of revolutions as far as our personal liberty you know these these things that um you know taking um like women's liberation for example you know i i think it's great if women want to have to choose or if they want to choose to have a career you know instead of being a mother you know birth control has made that choice a lot easier you know and, and i think that you know women are doing amazing jobs in so many sectors having said that though it, it it is hard to have both you know and unfortunately i mean just because 
there is a present situation doesn't mean that it should be that way going forward but um you know if i think that it's hard to have a family and a career and you know i i do think that it it is um maybe unfair to women in our society who want to have a family i i do suspect there is some amount of um people looking down on them um you know because they're not in the workforce you know we undervalue the work that a mother does you know in raising children but um anyway that was meandering i i don't i don't know as far as values i keep thinking um you know aristotelian and platonic values and virtues you know adding the christian virtues you know and i i i don't know i i think that um, I think more about living a good life just um, because you should, you know, you should self-actualize and be the best person you can be. But I, even if there is no other moral force, you know, outside of our world, um, I don't know. I, I still think that it's valuable and I, I'm trying to figure that out myself. I know that um, Sam Harris, is a neuroscientist who's a kind of one of the famous atheists and he does talk a lot about morality aside from religion um i don't know i, I guess if you wanted to know that case better you'd have to study him I, I don't listen to him tons or read tons from him um but he's a, a very thoughtful speaker very interesting and compelling speaker and author yeah yeah it's it's difficult to understand where values come from sometimes i wonder if we overthink it and, and should just watch what the children do they they seem to know what is right and wrong without having researched it um you know they, they seem to know inherently um and obviously we don't want to take on all of their decision making methods um because you know, on the there's also the, the side that is, you could say, animalistic. You know, that needs to evolve, and and learn discipline and um, responsibility in children. Um, but in what you were saying, I, I could recognize that yes, a lot of people's values are based on money. On you know, is this good? Is this a good decision economically? Uh, for example. Uh, uh, getting a, a prenuptial agreement <laughs> um, or or how how much taxes do I need to pay if I'm married versus not married um, but let, let's return to truth and deception because uh, our value systems are based by are, are based a lot on our experiences but also our perception of our experiences and our environment and and that can easily be influenced and manipulated I'll give you an extreme example that um, a therapist once made me aware of. Um, I've never been in a hostile situation. And, and so maybe that's why it's so abstract. And, and I also don't really enjoy thinking about what it must be like to be in a war, you know, in a shootout, for example. And he, he told me there's a man maybe lying on the floor with, with his, I don't know, sniper or some rifle. And he sees another man in the distance 
and he sees that's an enemy, maybe by his uniform, or maybe because someone told him, and now he's going to shoot him. How is that possible? Because if you saw a man stealing your newspaper from your lawn, you wouldn't shoot him for that, right? But because you have certain values. But what kind of story have you been told to believe that it is good for you to kill this person? And, and that really put it into, into terms that showed me how extreme, how radical uh, the situation in war actually is. And, and we, we prefer it when wars are somewhere far away and all we need to decide about is how much money should we pay <laughs> to, to fund them. Um, but the, the, the truth that we don't um, confront is that um, you know, everyone loses in a war, except maybe for the few who, who put up the money for it and, and who make all the money. Uh, you know, war is a racket, as that one um, officer said. I can't think of his name now. I'll link to it in the notes afterwards. Oh, Smetley Butler. Have you heard of that little story? No, no. He explains all the, and, and this is back in, I don't know, 100 years ago. So War is a Racket explains how all the uh, people in the right positions, in the right industries, uh, have huge uh, um, gains to make from war. You know, not just the weapon manufacturers, but also uniform making and I don't know, all the industries that you take over after, after you have beaten someone into submission. It's, um, it's just interesting to see all the realities of war rather than just what the news presents to you. Because that, that's just a tiny fragment. Or when we watch a movie about war, we have to compartmentalize and say, oh, this is just an entertainment. This is just a story. Uh, some people are sensitive enough to say that, to, to feel like they can't watch this movie. Um, and for me, it goes back and forth. Um, or I've noticed that in TV series, um, there is more and more torture. Uh, well, at least it feels like it's, like it's becoming more to me. And I wonder if I'm getting um, desensitized and whether I am, you know, just distancing myself from, from what is real in order to cope with it better. Um, do, you, do you see some, um, you know, worrying trends there with, with how we're losing um, values when it comes to, I don't know, violence or, or the, the worth of a human or um, just what we allow ourselves to think about and what we allow ourselves to feel. You know, I, I'm not, um, and I mean, you bring up a lot of great points and I'm certainly not smart enough to know. Um, I will say that the, you know, the ethics of war are very tough, you know, and I, I think that um, I do have a couple of thoughts. And one of the things that, that I, I am not sure of is how much free will we really have, mm. you know, especially in the moment of things, right? And so one of the things that I teach my kids is that we need to have heuristics and our decision-making 
already cemented in place before we are confronted with a situation, right? Like, and I practice decision making with them, and and you know, we all, I well, we all, I, from what I understand, what I believe, we use heuristics to help us make shortcuts in our thinking, right? You know, we we can't always sit down and logically make a list of pros and cons, you know, and so we use these rules of thumb to try and get to decisions quickly, particularly when they need to be made quickly. And so, like I said, when I talk to my kids, you know, we talk about heuristics and I talk about, you know, having your decision or having these systems in place so that when you are in a situation with asymmetrical downside, you know, that you don't instinctually or habitually, or just that you are not acted upon and that you don't make, or that you don't have a bad outcome in the decision-making process that you might not have a lot of control of in the moment. And so, you know, when I think about in the military, you know, um, what I can tell you is that even though I was a dentist in the army, there is still um, a sense of brotherhood that is, or I don't, I mean, yes, there are women too. I don't know what the right word is. There's a sense of fraternity or brotherhood or companionship or camaraderie. Yeah, whatever the word is, camaraderie, that is intensely close and unifying. And um, I can tell you that instantly you will do whatever you can, you know, to protect your, your brother, your brothers in bonds. Right. And, um, you know, and if that means shooting the person in, in the different uniform than yours, um, like I said, I think that that is a decision that was made well before you ever got to that point. And I think that that is part of the training and, and part of the mind, part of the mind shaking that takes place in your basic training and, and in introduction in, into the military. I don't, I mean, it, it is definitely tough. There is definitely a line that is crossed. And I, I mean, I can't help but think about um, Nuremberg, right? I mean, so many times people want to outsource their morality and say that they were just following orders or, you know, say that they were um, acting under whatever pretense, right? That, that might absolve themselves of the decision-making process in the heat of the moment. And I, I think that, you know, not only, not only if we can acknowledge that our human laws were just, you know, and particularly at Nuremberg, you know, if we can acknowledge, maybe people don't agree, I, I don't know, but if, if we can acknowledge that justice was carried out and that there was not an excuse for acting against humanity or acting against the conscience, um, I can only imagine that, that we must say that, that God also demands um, our own morality, right? And I think that we are always under an obligation to act for the benefit of others, um, regardless of whatever circumstance we're in. 
I don't, I don't think that it means that we have to lose our life. You know, I, I don't think that we have to cede ground to those that would do us harm in any way. And I, like I said, I, I do feel that war is extremely tough. You know, it's people who make wars these days, you know, they are hundreds or thousands of miles away. You know, they can declare, or at least in the United States, you know, we can have politicians who can declare war or even act unilaterally and they don't have any skin in the game, right? Rather than, you know, um, Alexander the Great, you know, or, or whoever who was at the head of his armies and leading them into battle, you know, for sure, President whoever was not in Vietnam doing night patrols in the jungle or, you know, President Bush wasn't in a, a tank going up in Iraq. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. um, it makes there's things asymmetric different. involvement. And so I, yeah, nowadays, yeah, really kind of... nowadays uh, warfare is, is a lot of um, pushing buttons and dropping bombs. Um, even by unmanned vehicles now. Um, but I think if, if I had to, I, like more and more, I, I think I'm, I'm ready to, to go to prison um, if I were to be drafted into a real war, um, you know, to, you might call it radical pacifism um, because I don't want mm -hmm. that what you call training. You, you described what, what soldiers go through so um, mm, carefully, so not, not putting any um, evaluation with it. You, you yeah. just said they get trained um, to, to be prepared for extreme situations, but, but I um, consider those drills to be um, uh, brainwashing, you know, just breaking you in order to build you up again with um, new values that you would have abhorred earlier, just robbing you of all your sensitivity. Anyway, I, I don't want to talk too much about war. Um, no, no, I think it is an extreme case that, that helps us understand our, you know, where we truly are. I, I mean, the hard, the hardest, the hardest test or the, I guess, how do I want to say this? Like the most, most robust test of, you know, of our values and, and our beliefs is in the hard, is in the hard cases, right? Mm -hmm. When our heartstrings yeah. get plucked. Um, but an, another yeah. uh, fortunate thing is that uh, what I'm, what I'm learning is that uh, the, the finances of war and that you can prevent wars and, and stop um, tense situations across, across the world by defunding the, the people or first of all understanding where the money comes from that that funds a war it's it's so often the case that a, a handful of rich people fund both sides of a, of a conflict <laughs> and then and then pay off the the media to to make everyone fear the other side and and believe that the other side are terrorists and then trigger something like um assassinating an archduke and um, suddenly you have war and, and let, let business begin you know that's more and more how I see war and but if you 
if you see where the journey is going that, oh, there's a conflict in Syria because two different parties want to lay oil pipes through their country and only one of them can get the deal uh, of, of, you know, funneling oil to, uh, to Europe, then, oh, so if, if we just prevent them from, from either, either from, from doing that, then, then maybe we can um, prevent people from killing each other. So that's a nice thing to, to learn about how, how wars work and start from that per perspective. Um, but before we finish, I, I, I do think we should go into COVID-19 a little bit. Uh, you already talked about the, the unjust way that governments have dealt with it. Uh, it's, it's interesting to be alive and uh, a certain age for me uh, to experience this. You know, uh, it's, it has a lot in common with 9-11. Uh, during 9-11, I was uh, 15 and was not emotionally able to, to deal with it. I was not like all the other kids in school who had to talk about it the next day with everyone else. I was just going about doing my homework, just like if nothing happened because I, I couldn't deal with it. But now uh, you see how, how I have heavy thoughts in my head and, and I can't, I don't think about them every day, but uh, in when I get opportunities like this, I like to get them out and talk them through with someone I trust. Um, I have done some research on 9-11 and how lots of things in the official story about what happened are impossible. For example, how hundreds of engineers have confirmed that the only way the, the three World Trade Center buildings could have collapsed is through a detonation. Nothing, nothing like what, what the media is telling us. Um, not, not by catching fire, not, not by machines flying into them, only through, through bombs at the bottom and then along all the uh, columns. And so that, that's just one of the many, many lies that we're told um, and so much organizing by, uh, not just by the perpetrators, but also by the um, American government was necessary for things to work out perfectly the way it did and for people to get very rich from it. I, and the, the reason I could not believe this for several years was uh, that it was too crazy to believe. I thought a, a government could never allow thousands of their own people to be killed, you know, intentionally. Um, I think the first time I was confronted with the idea even of, of there being a, a, an effort behind it, like, like uh, largely organized was uh, watching Michael Moore's um, Fahrenheit 9-11. Um, but then the more I study on it, the more I realize, wow, the, this is a huge thing and, and so much money and, and organization had to go into it. Um, and so that's, I, I see a lot of parallels there with that and, and with our current situation, because the more I study on uh, how viruses work, how testing for viruses work, how vaccines work, how the scientific community and the research literature and publishing works, how hospitals work, the more I understand how, how many people, again, can be bribed, can be corrupted in order for huge lies 
to be perpetrated and believed by the majority of the people so that they will not stand up against um, overreach of government, um, you know, fascism just, just reaching new highs. And so that's how I see the current situation. And uh, I feel I'm in the middle of a huge deception campaign, not just reading about it in, in hindsight. Can you sympathize with any of that? Absolutely. So I, I mean, I think the hard thing is, is, um, you know, whether, whether or not 9-11 was an inside job or not, whether, you know, COVID-19 is really some sort of government control operation. Um, I, I mean, it, it, I think that can be tabled, you know, and shelved a little bit just to talk about principles generally, right? Mm -hmm. So I think um, one of the principles is cognitive dissonance, mm -hmm. you know, and you brought that up very clearly, right? How can, you know, these people that we trust with our lives and our safety and our security, how could they do something so terrible and betray us, right? And I think that, that what gets, particularly with 9-11, right? And I think what gets to the heart of the matter is that, um, you know, or why we would even give credence to 9-11 being an inside job is because our governments haven't shown us a lot of reason to trust and believe them generally when it counts, mm -hmm. right? Like as far as, you know, what, what gets propagandized or what we see on the news or, you know, how, um, you know, war gets sold to people or politics, political um machinations you know I, I don't think that it's i don't i think that whatever um joseph goebbels or edward bernays or um george orwell wrote about you know generate however many generations ago 50 60 70 80 90 90 100 years ago however long it's been you know, I think that the principles are still the same, you know, and I, I think that, you know, humans are still very capable of manipulation and um, disinformation. And I, I think that, um, you know, whether, like I said, whether it was inside job or not, you know, we don't, we have plenty of reason to distrust people or our government and there's cognitive dissonance for sure. I think mm -hmm. that the second, the second idea that kind of um, might shape my thinking is that um, life is still very uncertain, right? Life, safety, security, um, not that we could get hit by an asteroid and have our world ended tomorrow. I mean, who knows, right? I, I, I'm sure astronomers would see it, but I'm, I'm talking extremely, right? Like, we don't know what, you know, will happen immediately, right? And I think that um, one of the things that I, I feel like I, I need to see if there's literature probably, I feel like, you know, human beings just want to have control. We need to feel like we're in control of, of our lives and that we do have some sort of determinism. Mm. And yet, you know, the, the environment that we live in is, is complex right and it is chaotic and 
you know, justice or um, randomness seems to be the only form of true blank justice there is, <laughs> you know, as far as whose life gets taken and whose doesn't by just naturally, right? And or poor timing or, or victimization. Um, I think that's really hard for people, you know, and I think that we want to put a face to it, you know, whether it's people who are, um, you know, the, I'll say the average Christian, you know, at least the average American Christian wants to ascribe everything to God, right? Every, everything is God's will, you know, and God has a plan and, you know, I mean, somebody could you know, I recall once having a friend who, um, well, he was a college professor, he, a religion college professor, and one of his friends was murdered in Las Vegas, you know, and so many people were trying to be comforting to him, just saying, well, I'm sure that it was part of God's plan, you know, and, and in the massacre, it's like really God's plan was having no, no, not in, not in a massacre. This was 20 years ago before the Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Another interesting one, probably. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I guess what I'm saying is that even, even though it might not make any sense, you know, upon further or any deeper inspection, you know, superficially, we want to ascribe things. Um, I, I feel like we want to be able to feel that, that our lives are not random you know, and that, that they're not chaotic and that we don't, or that we do have some control, right? And so I think that, um, you know, rather than, rather than admitting that, you know, we're humans and we're still vulnerable to viruses and bacteria and fungi and natural, um, natural, mm. what am I? Contagions. Mm that I'm looking for, like hurricanes, tornadoes. Mm. Yeah, well, contagions, but, but, but the elements, we're still vulnerable mm. to the universe, basically, right? And so instead of just saying, man, the, you know, we've got people who have different intentions than ours, or, you know, whether it's 9-11, or whether there are, um, you know, viruses going around, I, I think, you know, lately, I've noticed people want to blame this virus on, you know, whether it's the Chinese, you know, in their wet markets and how, you know, how could That's, they, yeah. you know, or, you know, if, or when they see cases rising and they want to say, oh, if only we'd lock down harder, if only people would wear their darn masks, you know, and, and really these non-pharmaceutical interventions, I, I, I really have my doubts that they work, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I think that, um, like I said, being able to put a face to it, you know, and be able to blame it is easier. Maybe it's easier mentally or cognitively than saying, oh, life sucks and I still could die tomorrow unexpectedly, right? Even in today's world. And I, I just don't think that people are able to deal with that thought. Yeah. Like accepting death as, as being part of everyday life. Yes. Right. Yeah. I also think uh, we've, you know, we've gone pretty extreme with, with one death is too many. Um, but I, I wish people would educate themselves more about statistics. Um, 
I mean, statistics are easily faked. Uh, and so we need a, a better education on, on how they can work, how they can be faked. And then people would realize that uh, we um, do not have any more deaths than in previous years. And still we have more COVID cases, but at the same time we have less flu cases. Is it possible that a disease just got renamed? Uh, <laughs> things like that, that um, make me skeptical. And I can understand that not everybody has the time to research these things for themselves. But I think people put way too much trust into governments to decide over how to deal with these things. Do you as a physician have any professional insights into viruses or masks? Um, you, you're always so careful with, with uh, expressing your doubts about how we are confronting the situation, but, but is there anything um, you know as a physician about uh, I don't know, MR, mRNA uh, vaccines or, um, or the, the size of the holes in our masks being much larger than viral particles. So, I, I mean, I, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a physician. I'm a dentist, you know, it's probably a little bit than than European training. I don't know. I, I mean, I did have a lot of the, the same classes, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't credential myself that way. But I mean, I, I agree. I think that the hard thing is, is that um, the hardest thing is that research, research is really something that uh, particularly medical research. Um, I, I recently read this, that it's not farmers who are doing agricultural research, it's actual researchers, mm -hmm. right? And so why do we have doctors doing professional research? The problem, like you said, the problem is, is that, um, you know, I had a semester of, of, um, of uh, biostatistics, right? I mean, and since I finished residency, I still tried to educate myself and learn more on statistics. The problem is, is that, um, you know, my full-time concern is, is taking care of inflammatory dental pain, mm -hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Like I, that's what I do all day long. And, you know, realistically, um, there is a whole body of professional research. You know, I've read thousands of articles. And the sad thing is, is that um, a lot of it, most of it was done by dentists. And the statistics, you know, they, they were, they, the research was not well done, right? Like it wasn't, um, you know, the, the powering probably wasn't even considered before it was done, right? What of a sample set need you know like probably 80 percent what i've read of, of medical research is underpowered you know mm -hmm. and so one of the ways that that i upset people is i say no you don't know that right well we know a lot you don't if it's underpowered you 
you might know you might have a data point but it's you know you don't know about the directionality of the signal right and you don't know the size of the effect and you think that because p is less than 0.05 that you know something and when in reality if i said what does that even mean you know this p value of less than 0.05 you know like i think most physicians i mean i don't know if you've heard of gerd Giergerenzer, a german psychologist is an amazing very very well written extremely well published um, guy and i think that his work has shown pretty pretty sadly that physicians don't understand don't even understand statistics or even under, probably know how to read the literature that they consume. And I think that, um, you know, when it comes to things like masks, um, you know, that what I, even before I started to understand why, um, well, let me back up, I'm sorry. So when I was in residency, you know, I, like I said, I literally read and memorized, um, hundreds of articles, literally just hundreds, maybe thousands of articles as far as like, you know, what the significant findings were, what the materials and methods were, you know, what the, what the bottom line finding was. And, um, you know, we got very good at picking apart research saying, well, yeah, but you know, this, this situation was probably not ideal or this situation was probably not ideal. And, and, um, you know, it was probably, um, you know, something that was a qualitative effort. And I've since learned that, you know, that these studies are quantitatively flawed, mm -hmm. you know, and that I, I didn't even know why they were quantitatively problematic. And, you know, it kind of gets to the heart of deduction versus induction. And, you know, now I look for numerical explanations before I look for, for qualitative explanations, if that makes sense. And I think that um, regardless, one of the things that, that I think that any honest, well, if, if, my, if my field is any indication or, or representative of the sample in total, um, I think that you can find literature supporting anything that you want to say for sure. Um, I can tell you for sure that um, a lot of the studies that, that extol the benefits of masks, it's all modeling. Mm -hmm. It's not actual like, you know, hey, let's have, you know, let's like in Vietnam, you know, there was this study where it was done in a hospital, you know, where they, it was during flu season where they had doctors wearing masks and some doctors not wearing masks. And, and there's also been, and, and guess what? There was no difference in doctors catching the flu. Um, you know, there's another one that I'm thinking of where it was done in, in surgical operating rooms, you know, whether they were looking at physicians, whether they wore a mask and whether there were, you know, what kind of an outcome that would have on, on surgical healing or, or adverse outcomes in surgery. And guess what? The group that had the physicians who wore masks had worse outcomes as far as post-operative infections. And I think that the problem is, is that, um, like I said, one of the things we, we want control, we want the illusion of control. 
And, you know, this is one way that people can maybe feel a sense of security and control is by mm -hmm. wearing a mask. Even if, even if we are talking about particle size and, and if you put on your mask, I tell people, if you put on your mask and you can smell somebody smoking from 50 feet away, <laughs> yeah. your mask is not protecting you against COVID. Right. I don't, I don't think that, I mean, that's my opinion, but I don't, um, no, that's a good test that, that anyone can understand. It, it reminds me of a video that I saw um, when someone outside in the cold was testing different masks and you could see the steam coming out from the sides <laughs> when he was examining. Yeah. yeah, and I see a lot of, um, you know, people posting pictures, you know, it involves urination, right? If I'm not, you know, if I'm wearing pants, then you don't get peed all over, you know, and see how <laughs> barriers work. And I'm like, well, no, you need to think about it as if you were in a swimming pool. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, is your swimming, swimming suit or pants really stopping, you know, the urine from getting everywhere inside the swimming pool? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I just, um, so much of what we've relied on has been modeling rather than direct observation. It seems like to me, but um, but I'll only say this because of your Irish roots. There's a there's a YouTuber. Um, his name is Ivor Cummings. Uh, you might find him interesting. Mm -hmm. He's very he's an engineer, but he's gone into a lot of the data, and he to me it's pretty fascinating. Okay, his I can link, uh, link to him yeah. below as well. Yeah, the fat emperor, I think, is his handle, but his name is Ivor Cummings. Um, but I, I, I think that, yeah, but I, I, I think that I'll say this, you know, when we're talking about truth and deception, I, I remember, um, you know, I was in a forum with a young man and um, he, he, I think that a lot of us in this forum feel like that the, the way that we've approached the data and collected the data and thought about the data has been problematic. And this young man came on and was kind of a newbie to the group. And he said, yeah, you know, you're all anti-science. This is, you know, you're all up in the night. And I think that, you know, a lot of us would argue that the princess, Diamond Princess cruise ships or any of the naval vessels that were coming back were probably representative samples and that they probably were um, representative of objective reality right and that we should have been able to draw conclusions from these cruise ships that that covid was not going to be the zombie apocalypse that was going to destroy humanity so when i think about you know since we do talk a lot about religion you know i, I did think about paul saying hey you know, we, right now we see through a glass darkly and we see in part and we know in part, but someday we're going to unfold full. And I think that that really is, you know, kind of gets to the heart of the matter is how do we take, you know, these little slices of our observations and try to figure out whether that is an accurate representative of, of objective reality. And I think that, um, you know, once I start thinking about it like that, 
you know, I, I get a lot more sympathetic, you know, to people's viewpoints that, that disagree with mine. And I start thinking more and more like, um, okay, you know, how do I not only figure out what I do know or don't know, but then how do I make policy from what, what I know, right? What I think represents objective reality. And I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know enough to know the answer, but I think that this gets to the heart of that a lot of things that we've been talking about, right? Like, because, because as humans, we exist in complex, adapt, complex adaptive systems, you know, there, we have to, we have to assume um, nonlinearity, we have to assume asymmetry, right? We have to assume chaos. And so I think that part of the problem with our political class and our medical establishment, at least in Western medicine, is that we believe that we have control to some extent, right? I, I mean, yes, we can, we can affect outcomes, but we don't really consider the um, externalities of our decisions and, and our interventions always, yeah. right? We don't, we think that we can do good things. And, and it, I always tell people like, imagine that you have a system of, of pulleys. Do you know what pulleys are? Oh yeah, yeah, ropes like a, around a, those maybe wheels. A system of gears, right? Mm -hmm. right. You know, I, I think that a lot of us feel like that we can pull a rope and just affect the single pulley that we want to, right? And really, we've affected a whole system, and that there are we should always be cognizant and aware that our interventions can have severe consequences and, and uh, downsides and outcomes. And so I think, you know, when I talk about, you know, truth and deception and politics and religion, um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that I battle with is Hanlon's razor, right? Never ascribe to malice when, stupidi when stupidity will suffice, mm -hmm. right? Like I can, I can see that people are often trying to do good but I, one of the things that, that I don't like is I don't feel like, um, particularly with COVID, I, you know, I wasn't really aware enough during 9-11, but I think particularly with COVID, you know, part of the discussion would be, should be how much harm are we causing? You know, what are we doing yeah. to people's rights and individual liberties? What are we hoping to accomplish, right? In the name of what? Why, what I want to know is why can't we take a behavioral epidemiological approach? You know, let people decide. And if they see that their friends are dying or getting sick, guess what? They'll self-isolate, mm -hmm. right? People will act in their own best interest, I'm sure. And I don't think that we need to be heavy handed. But anyway, that was kind of a long ranging <laughs> Sure. Uh, Everything we there. say opens uh, further questions, but but it's been a lot of fun, and I think you you ended with some encouraging words there about the the understanding uh, decisions and fears of other people, um, you know, because of their psychology and and their emotional state and uh, the need for the illusion of security. I 
I like those thoughts. Um, I think they'll help me as well be more um, sympathetic to people around me when they make decisions out of fear that cause me more limitation. So thank you for that. No, thank you. I guess one thing I would say is, sorry, one more term, mm -hmm. therapeutic illusion, right? We all want to believe that our interventions are what is causing, you know, any benefit, mm -hmm. right? When really it could be mean reversion. And so, you know, viruses could have a seasonal pattern. And, you know, what I think is happening is that um, people who are saying, oh, yes, look, that you know, whatever lockdown measures or non-pharmaceutical interventions we put in place, oh, look, they're working, <laughs> you know, and when in reality it is, you know, a, some sort of greater force beyond our control. Anyway, yeah. sorry, therapeutic illusion. I, I, that was something else. I, I look it up. I haven't heard that, that term. I, yeah, so I think, well, thanks for giving me a chance to explore my thoughts. I, um, you know, it is really hard and frustrating to want to um, express these opinions. I think that the reaction that I get, I'm very careful um, speaking like this, um, just because a lot of people, they get angry, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, for some reason, whether it's because, um, you know, they, they, don't, they don't understand the statistics or, you know, and they think that they do, or whether, you know, it's, that, you know, I, I come across as selfish, you know, yeah. because I don't want to take part in these lockdowns or, you know, or, or whatever, you know, the reason is, or because I'm smug or because I'm, you know, condescending or because, you know, I just don't care about others. You know, people tend to have a lot of um, negative emotional responses to stark contrary opinions, it seems like, so. Anyway, yeah. I, I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I, I believe that when you, um, what's the word, when you challenge people's views of things like um, um, what we're doing right now with COVID, um, then a, a, a very quick subconscious process happens. You know, if that is a lie, then this is a lie. and and these politicians aren't representing me and, and the media is fake and, and and it goes all through this and then and then there's a, a fail safe or i don't know what to call it there's a what what, what happens when stocks drop too fast uh, what what do you call that oh yeah no there is i don't a circuit breaker yeah yeah right? there's something like that fail safe circuit breaker and and it'll prevent you your your mind from going all the way to Oh, I'm living in a huge illusion in a huge conspiracy, and it's just too much to to process all at once. And I, I, I think I think it happens. I think it happened with me. Like when I said I, I can't believe the American government killing its own people. Um, so these things take time, take years, and that's why I'm not angry when someone seems to be too dense to to understand what I'm telling them or to even process it and just becoming emotional over it and attacking me to to defend themselves because i am putting that person in uh, in peril like they feel like their life is is ending because i'm challenging their whole worldview yeah. 
Absolutely. 